0: Sweetheart,
1: we got some dancing to do. Hello everybody and welcome to Cage Fighting, Matt Guy here. How are we all?
0: We Are very well. I presume I'll go second in this, in this instance.
1: Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. I'm,
2: I'm coming in at third, which it feels weird, but there is a reason for it.
1: Yes, there is a reason because this is a musical episode, and I would take the reins when it comes to music. Um, Stu will eventually get hosting duties one day, and we will keep that a secret as to what uh, Stu hosts. It doesn't sound as sordid. um Um, but he's in a musical episode today and we are going to be talking about our top fives songs the world didn't know they needed uh as in calibrations no that's not right um (laughs) (laughs) collaborations collaborations that's right (laughs) so uh, artists have come together from different genres and um created musical masterpieces but ones that potentially came out of the blue, um, ones that the world didn't know they needed but are now considered classics. Before we get into that, though, Stu especially, I think you've got to like the duet. I think, you know, in the passing time, you know, dating this podcast significantly, poor Olivia Newton-John go in within the, within the last week as well. God rest her soul, Stu, pour a bit of liquor for her. Um, especially for old crooning music which I know you've got a bit of a penchant for you've got to love the duet
0: yeah it's it was always one of them things i mean i, I went through a phase where it really annoyed me because when you went to see a certain artist perform you'd never had the other the other one there did you so mm. they are always singing to a backing track um unlike when you had um, paul mccartney singing to a, a reproduction of john lennon at the uh, <laughs> whatever the hell that was going on, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's a bit different eh? and you know, I like a bit of, bit of difference. So yeah. I mean, I think this was surprisingly even in a lot of the, well, I'd say pretty much every one of these people, most people know what well, they are. Um But this was easier than I thought hmm. Um co- compared to some of the musical things that you've thrown us in the past. <laughs>
1: Well, Andy, you said that you had to take this down from a short list of about 20 to this five. Um, Were there any genres when you're putting your list together that you didn't encounter, just genres that just do not mix together and no brave soul has even attempted it that you you were surprised by? Um, There
2: wasn't really, if I'm honest. my, My initial list, it was mostly had a rock edge to it. It was rock and something else. And I think that's probably because rock music because it's got its roots in blues music mm-hmm. and then everything has probably got its roots in blues music to like some extent so i think that it can um, it can meld quite well with other genres of music so you can take it down a more country route you could even take it into hip hop because i feel that hip hop is very closely related to country music in that they're both stemmed from the slave trade way way back where obviously the the blues were born so i don't feel that there's any any like hard and fast rule that you can't go there with music Hmm. i mean it might come out the other end sounding absolute shite but i always appreciate the effort if nothing else
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, when I think of like some of the, the, the duets, some that haven't made my list or, or or not just duets in terms of individual artists, but bands that have come together, I do think there've been some absolute train wrecks and maybe that's one for a for a question for another day. But we're at we're after your the, your favourites. Um for those listening along at home, when the episode drops, please feel free to tweet us or um send us a little video or audio clip with your choices. we'd love to know your reaction to um our list and the list of your own and tracks that we should listen to and i think we'll probably end up creating a spotify playlist so people can listen along at home as well um so let's kick start it off then andy what is your number five on your uh, songs the world didn't know they needed in terms of duets or artists
2: well I know it's a top five, but my top five are pretty much in no particular order because I've tried to hit a few different things with each pick rather than just going for my favourites. I've gone for the one which is a comedy take on the musical duet. It's taking my my fifth place. And it's The Lonely Island and Justin Timberlake. And it's a trio of songs. It's Mm. Dick in a Box. It's Mother Lover. It's Three Way, The Golden Rule, because it's not gay when it's in a three way. I I love Andy Samberg. I'm a big fan of Andy Samberg. And I I quite like Justin Timberlake as well, I've got to be honest. So this musical collaboration, when it came together, it just hit all of the boxes for me. It was just a really good, fun, silly summer song. I think the first one I heard was Mother Lover and then went back and discovered all of the other songs that came with it. And it's just this wonderful, silly little um, trilogy of songs that they they pieced together. It's just excellent fun and it's precisely what I feel you can do with a duet because you're bringing together the world of the serious musician in Justin Timberlake and the comedy nonsense of and Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island and it just works yeah. perfectly together.
1: It's, it's funny because they got to a point with the Lonely Island stuff. Like at first, I think, I'm not saying it was niche artists that were coming to them, but it became very soon a thing like you've got to get on the Lonely Island record. Because now it's a sign of being a popular celebrity as opposed to it not being this like niche weird thing that, that people did. Um, yeah, I
2: mean, when you look at the three albums I think they've got out, you've got Adam Levine on there, you've got Rihanna, you've got Michael Bolton a few times. Like they've got a bit of everyone from the mega star to the 80s star in there, and it's quite cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah it was a, a great shout, to be fair um i my number five um is the i'm might have shot myself in the foot here because that might not actually be true i think it's the only person that's dead on my list <laughs> um because i have gone for quite topical on the basis of um what's still out at the cinema now but um a little less conversation by elvis and jxl <laughs> uh junkie xl um Now, I've got to give a shout out to James from work for this because I was talking to him about this list and I had to make um, an amendment because he said, oh, what about that? And I was like, oh, God, that's got to go in. It's got to go in. I think if I'm right in thinking, they did a version of A Little Less Conversation on Ocean's Eleven. And I think that's what kickstarted this to be remixed and, and created into the song. And I think it went to number one in like a ton of countries and bought new eyes or new ears i should say to elvis um because the songs are banger and obviously they they focus on different areas of the mix like they raise the drums and they raise the horns and stuff like that on this um in in the mix and bring that forward but it's a really just funky and fun song that you kind of expect now at nearly any respectable party i suppose or at least Mm -hmm. like a, a broad party um and i don't think anybody really saw that coming that Elvis in what with the early two thousands, it probably would have been, um, would would have like another number one. So for that reason, that's why it's made my list. It,
2: it, it was on my list until quite late in the day, purely because it was a a DJ and a yeah, and a yeah, singer yeah. It was the only reason it didn't make my list. But it, it, it's a great song.
0: Yeah, it was one of my honorable mentions as well, and mainly because of the Nike advert mm. but Yes, um, was it the was it the airport one? Is that where it came from, or was it the other one on the ship? I can't remember.
2: It was um, the one where they were playing three aside in like the back streets.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I knew it, it was one of. The, I remember the, the the football that they actually used with it. Um, was it the, the Mer? It was one of the early early Merlin ones. Um, yeah, super. I, I think I actually bought that as well. I bought that on single. CD single back in the day. <laughs> like I told, like I mentioned to Tara, where I bought the uh, I bought the hamster song as well on uh, on CD single.
1: Oh my god! Was that the one that was like, that yeah, one? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it,
0: it, fun fun fact: it got stolen out of Goldie's car in Leicester. because uh, so, it, it, my uh, my bag was in the the passenger footwell. And some hoodlums had uh, broke, just caved it in, caved in the passenger side window, because we were part up, obviously, to get to the game. And the hamster song was in there. One of my old square Nokia phone was in there. It was broke, so that's why it wore on me. Um, there was a few other things as well, but the, the hamster song CD single was stolen from me.
1: The ultimate opportunist. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe maybe that's what would have
1: been. Never mind, never mind. Stu, you what's your uh, number five on your list?
0: So my number five is more cheery than that. It's Bing Crosby and David Bowie, little Drummer boy. I mean, how could how could you not be on this list? It's Christmas. You've got two people who you'd never in a million years even put in the same room together, let alone sing together. And like you said, mm-hmm. a, bit a bit of a croon and wherever the hell David Bowie was. And it just works. It works on so many levels. It, it works as a pure Christmas song um, that you hear every year. And it probably, I think it was like in the top 40 again last year because of uh, download charts and stuff like that. It's an all-time classic and it should never have worked in a million
1: years, but it does brilliantly. What do you think Crosby would have thought about David Bowie? Do you think he would have, like, because I imagine they were put together by someone. I don't think it would have been like a mutual thing. I don't know. Do you think he thought, what the, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> well,
0: he's relatively sensible in that video. So you, you kind of think he's, he ain't turned up as in full, like, glam and everything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think if he'd have known more about Barry, who at the time, I think, would have been not long moved away from living in Berlin goose-stepping around the train stations. (laughs) He was very much into his bisexual era at that time, Barry was. I think Bing Crosby would have been saying quite a few um, slurs that probably wouldn't fly today (laughs) if he'd have known who Barry was at that point, I think.
1: I think you're probably right. Hmm. I think you're probably right. Andy, give us your number four, please.
2: Uh, Number four, I fear might be on Stu's list. this was replaced late. Uh, Bing Crosby and Berry was here originally, but it got replaced with another Christmas song, which is The Pogues and Christina McColl, Fairy Tale of New York.
0: Not on there. Carry on. I'm,
2: I'm shocked at that. I mean, this, I think, is the Christmas song. And it's more than just a Christmas song. You could put this on any day of the year and it still rings true. It's just a beautiful tale of a druggie and a woman who, at the end of their relationship, trying to hold it together... And it's kind of tragic and beautiful and everything in between. And it's quite a mashup when you think that the Pogues were this Irish punk band, effectively, and Christy McCall was a um, a pop princess from the UK. And their worlds should probably have never really have met, but they somehow did, and gave us this, this ode to Christmas. Christmas devastation, almost, I think is probably the right word
1: for it. Hmm i wondered at what point or how quickly we would get the tara go fuck yourself um line and it would be right about now because <laughs> i can't stand this song it's got to be oh, one really, of my mate? least favorite christmas songs yeah i hear it and it just makes my blood curdle <laughs> like it's just, just something about it you know what i think it is i think it's seeing but like, people enjoy it when they're pissed at Part on parties and stuff, and I, I look at them with uh, like an, like an American psycho esque disdain. It's just something about that's, this song I can't stand.
0: That's the same with my mom as well. I and mean, every time it's on, she covers it. I mean, classically as well. It, it, they played it. Um, I think we, had, we played Sheffield Wednesday. I think it was like 18th of uh, December, and they played it at halftime. So, I mean, any covering of her ears was just completely futile because playing it over the, over the PA, <laughs> you got no chance. No chance of. of the video of that's probably on, still on my Facebook from years ago. You might have to get that back in and put it on the socials as, as evidence. But it really is a song that you either love or hate. I mean, I, I've kind of I've never hated it, but I think I appreciate it more now than I used to. It, it's just one of them. Yeah,
1: it's, the, it's the,
0: the bad side of Christmas that no one wants to talk about, really.
1: Mm. I think it's just I think it's mixed with a general dislike for folk music as well or anything particularly <laughs> particularly Mumford and sunsey I mm. I'm not a big fan of so I think mm. I think that's probably where it falls in for me um probably moving as far away from that as possible for for my um number 4 um two artists that I don't think unless this project that they took part of ever ever happened would never ever have uh, have come together. But this would be "Burning Down the House" by Tom Jones and the Cardigans. <laughs> it is honestly go and listen to it. It is an absolute banger. It's so good. It reached number one like in a couple of countries, like Iceland, I think, uh, and probably around mm-hmm. Sweden, where the cardigans I think were from. Um. But it's just it's just it's funky as anything. Tom Jones has a spectacular voice, like he's got a really powerful iconic, and you know it's Tom Jones when you hear him. But these these songs just shouldn't work, but they do. And the, I didn't realise until <laughs> like researching this, was part of a part of an album of of songs he did called Reload, and then yeah. obviously you had um, a couple of really awful ones on there, like um, the cover of Are You Gonna Go My Way with Robert Williams, which I think's terrible. Um, but there's a couple of other really good ones on there as well, um, like Stereophonics are on there um, for uh, Mama Told Me Not To Come. And I just think it's a great song, and it's one of those that is so 90s it's painful, but in a good way, <laughs> mm. in a good way.
2: Oh, yeah, I'd got another song off that album on my honourable mentions list, which was his um, his other Christmas song, which was... Baby um, It's Cold Outside. Baby It's Cold Outside with Keris Matthews. Their voices together are just... Oh uh, it's honey and salt, is it? Like they they just they they sort of oppose each other but work really well together at the same time. They they really enmesh well together and it's it's wonderful. It's a great album generally though, apart from that Robbie Williams one, which is it's like something out of fucking the full Monty. Like it's a bit two nineties. <laughs>
1: Like the the cover of In Excess, like uh, the Never Tear Us Apart with Natalie Bruilia as well. It's like it's bizarre mm. to hear, but it's really quite good at the same time. Um, it's a strange album, really, because genre wise, it's all over the place. And then you add the the different artists that get involved with it. It's, it's crazy. But where do you lie on on Tom Jones, Stu? I've got a feeling. Are you a closet Tom Jones fan?
0: I'm not a closet Tom Jones. I love Tom Jones. He's great.
1: You're fully um, out on 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 Oh terms.
0: absolutely, I think he's I think he's great. I mean, I, 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 that kind of era, I listen to a lot of Tom Jones, <laughs> and I think the other Green Green Grass at home and all that kind of It's the classic stuff. Um, I think because my nan used to play it as well, um, kind of helps a little bit with that stuff. So you kind of it's ingrained into me from a young age. But yeah, I um, I, I like you know he's he's got, he's a bit of a rogue side to him as well. Eh? So he's. Uh, he never takes himself too seriously. He's Elvis, and I over and over again. But yeah, I like Tom Jones. I think he's never, did, well, so far, done anything anything bad to anyone. So
1: mm, we'll see. It all comes mm. out in the wash. <laughs> Andy, where do you lie on uh, on TJ? I,
2: I'm I'm on team tom all day uh if, <laughs> if i was on
1: the voice i would
2: want tom jones to, to choose me i think he was the second concert i ever went to and it, wow. it was fantastic yeah it was it was such a good show like he's a, a consummate showman so he knew what he was doing it was great i like i think part of it is growing up watching um the fresh prince so having seen the Colton dance and yeah, you, you yeah, get yeah. It. So, so there is that element to it but yeah, he's great. He's got a voice like very few other people have got in this world. And even at like 80 odd or whatever he is now, he's probably older than that. He's still got some pipes on him.
1: Hmm. It's it's one of those, it's almost opera without it being opera music. His voice is so powerful yeah. as well. Um, no, I completely agree. Stu, give us your number four, please. I mean,
0: he's he's been mentioned, he's been slayed there a little bit. Um, But mine is another Christmas song, and it is um, Mr. Robbie Williams with Nicole Kidman, and it's something stupid, which is uh, – that. again, I'm not even saying that song even works. It works a hell of a lot more than a a dad and his daughter singing it to each other, because that's fucked up. (laughs) But where, in what world does Robbie Williams' showman and wherever he was at the time and Hollywood darling Nicole Kidman – who thinks of these things? Who thinks of putting them two together to sing a ballad? Where does it happen? Because up until that point, i have never even heard them mentioned in the same kind of phrase together before. Oh, It's it's just baffling. And I think it's sickly and sweet. And I don't kind of, I like that song. I'm not saying I didn't buy it. That, was, that wasn't a hamster song purchase, but I don't mind that song. I, I, if it comes on, when it comes on on the Christmas, like, almanac, I never skip over it. I, I always listen to it. It's, it has its place in the world.
1: Do you think that Christmas has a hold on duets? Do you think when you think of the duet, do you instantly go to Christmas songs? Do you think?
0: Not necessarily. I mean, that's I means spoilers. That's the only one on here, other than the in the next three. There's not a Christmas song on there, so I think mm. it's. It, I think it just kind of. It's easier to get away with a lot of things at Christmas, and because you get the kind of oh oh, it's festive. Who cares? Everyone's pissed anyway. So I think I think that's that's probably why there's more um, <laughs> calibrations together in um, mm. Christmas time than any, any any other time of year.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Andy, in terms of the the duet and um, and Christmas time, do you think? can people get away with more because people are wanting to spend more around Christmas and Christmas number one is such an important thing where it was in this country that throw enough shit at the wall, something might stick and get you a Christmas number one. If you're mixing two big artists together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's it's the crossing of the streams, isn't it? You've got Nicole Kidman (laughs) who I think when that song was out would have been hot off the back of Moulin Rouge. Um, She was probably never quite as famous as she was at that point. Robbie Williams had just come off the back of his third album, Sing When You're Winning. Um, He could do no wrong in this country at that point, so he released an album of crooner standards. So why not put the two hottest stars in the world together at that point? Uh, I mean, looking back to the 80s, you'd have had like, was um, was it Kim Wilde and Mel Smith from... Mm. Smith and Jones, who did Rock Around the Clock together, like I know it's it's obviously a world away, but it's this it's bringing together more than just one thing. It's music and it's it's an actor or it's comedy and it's music. It's a bit of everything. And at Christmas, Christmas is about coming together. So I think you do get away with it somewhat that you probably
1: wouldn't in the summer months. No, that's absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Um, Andy, slide us down the flagpole to number three, please.
2: Uh, number three, I wanted to go for a, a lesser known band with a big singer for, for this choice. It, it came down to a choice of three. It was uh, Crystal Castles with Robert Smith but I don't know Crystal Castles enough for them to make the list. There's Churches with Hayley Williams from Paramore. Um, I I love Bury It. It's such a great song, but I liked Churches beforehand. So the one I've gone for is a band I didn't particularly like before, who was elevated, and it is Death in Vegas featuring Liam Gallagher, uh, which is uh, Scorpio Rising. Death in Vegas prior to this song were mostly dirge rock. They were a bit scuzzy and quite shit, I thought. Their songs just... I don't know, they just got the hackles up on the back of my my neck. They just didn't sit right with me. I don't know what it was. It it felt dirty and not in a good way. And then they brought in Liam Gallagher for this song. And the way that they produced their music for this, it was so shiny and clean and nothing like what you expected from them before. The introduction of Gallagher raised their game so much. This song is it's far and away the best thing they ever produced. It was excellent. Okay. Um, so yeah, and, and Gallagher comes in and he's got all of the swag. He was at the prime of his vocal career. He was excellent in this song. Uh, mm. So yeah, that, that's that's my track.
1: I can't say I've I've ever heard of it to be honest. I'm gonna to have to listen to oh, this. It, cool. so I'll probably like, I'll probably just I'll probably know it by ear, but not by name, mm. um, because yeah it sounds... so when you say like dirge before are we talking like garage rock or what we kind of stuff are we talking about that they were normally like not
2: not even garage rock um just sort of like like proper lo-fi kind of mm. sounds like almost mumbling their way through songs and I, I don't mind a mumbler like i like bob dylan i think he's amazing but it was just it was really low quality production values mixed with low, lo-fi Kind of set. Yeah. And just I don't know what it was, but it just didn't click with me at all.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, my number three is probably as uh, as different as the genres get of of all of the ones on on my pick, um, and it was a song made specifically for an event, um, and this is "No Leaf Clover," the song by Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. So. These two get together um, after Metallica had released, I think the Black Album, um, they had uh, this album and then it all really went wrong for Metallica. They went country um, and did Load and Reload and it rubbed people up the wrong way. Um, Then Jason, the bassist, left the band before the Absolute, cluster that was Saint Anger and all everything that comes with it. Um, if you've not seen some kind of monster, I think it's on Netflix, it might not be anymore. That is a documentary that tells you about the fall of man in musical form. Because the way that these let's say they're just they're millionaires. Virgin on billionaire, I imagine the Metallica brand is um how that band just falls apart is is laughable to be fair. But um No Leaf Clover is just I th- I do think some classical music is heavy, and I mean by heavy like end of the world kind of symphony, war of the worlds kind of music. And I think that um, No Leaf Clover is a the, the, the two bands come together. What well, the two bands, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra and a band, but the two come together really well and create something really special. And I think I don't think it's unusual now to see orchestras or bands with other artists and stuff like that. But for this song, it just it just felt really special the problem is they did it again about 25 years ago uh, later and it just didn't work as well because i think they tried to milk it as like a, a musical event as opposed to these metallica classics that are just being changed into um you know added a big band feel to it which which was a bit of a shame really have you heard any of that, Stu? I know you're not really that big of a rock fan as maybe me and uh, Andy are. Have you ever heard any of the, the Metallica um, S&M stuff?
0: No. <laughs> it sounds fascinating Now you've said it. it I, I was thinking, like, it sounds a bit like a kind of... that kind of symphony orchestra version of, like, when people go on Jules Holland and do the jazz equivalent. It seems that yeah, kind of yeah.
1: thing. Yeah, it, it pretty much is. Imagine imagine any kind of John Williams score that they're doing it for a heavy metal film. Hmm. It's basically that. So it's a heavy metal film where there's a chase scene and there's loads of strings. <laughs> it's that. It's, that's, that's essentially how it comes out. Andy, have you listened to any of the SNM stuff that Metallica did?
2: I have, but I'm not a big Metallica fan. Um, no, I know so it, not, to be fair. It, it didn't really hit with me. It's, it's an excellent. In theory, it's excellent. Um, I think had it been a band other than Metallica, I probably would love it. But their music just does very little for me. Um, and similarly, though, I would go to something like the Tim Minchin tour that he did with the orchestra, where he went and did a hundred piece, a hundred piece orchestra, following him around doing his silly dick joke songs. Like it's a similar sort yeah. of vibe in that they just completely change it up and. It, it does work so well when it's done right. And I think for a fan of Metallica, you would absolutely love that. Um, it just didn't sit with me.
1: That was uh, only one of two cinema screenings I've gone to at the Everyman in Birmingham. Um, I went to the one where they did the, the big four. So it was Metallica. Um, anthrax megadeth and slayer did a did a once in a lifetime tour and they showed one of the screenings there of the gig and then they did snm 2 live like a live screening of it while no that couldn't have, it couldn't have been a live screening because it'd have been so much stupid in the morning but they did like a, a a showing of all around the world at the same time of this film at these cinemas um and it was like it was then when i realized that like I don't know if music works in a cinema or at least not rock music like that because you had people like singing along at full volume and I'm like, I'm not here to listen to you. I'm here to listen to the band, Hmm. even though the band aren't there. It's, it it was weird. It was weird. I've
2: I've never been to the cinema for anything other than a film. I'm mean, i quite tempted because there's Jodie Comer's doing a play at the, um, the London national theater that they're putting on there at the moment. But I, I don't know, it just it feels weird to go and see something that isn't a movie at the cinema.
0: I've said this before, I, I, I'm sure I've said it on here, that my mother-in-law goes to watch um, Nutcracker every year <laughs> at, yeah. at the cinema. <laughs> and, and it's always packed out every year. You think I, I suppose in that case, because you, it's so hard to get tickets for and it's so expensive as well, it's the next best thing to, as a kind of Christmas tradition, to do something like that. Um, in that case, I'll be up for it. But I know a lot of people who like they, they won't watch like um, they won't watch Glastonbury on on BBC because it's not you're not there. Mm. So it, I mean it's obviously a different experience. But I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out. I mean I, I'd love to watch like Familiar to Millions the Oasis live gig at the old Wembley. And I, I've I mean that DVD is actually dead. I killed it off. So not many DVDs <laughs> actually broke. Um, from overuse, but yeah, that was that was one of them. But yeah, I, I, I'd do it. But it's just it's just getting the right thing at the right time. I think.
1: Hmm, that's fair. Stu your number three, please.
0: And talk about the right thing at the right time. <laughs> it's Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, Ebony and Ivory. Which would that be allowed to <laughs> today? Because it, it's a. Bit, I haven't heard that song on radio. I don't think ever. And there's, uh, there's I when mean, you think it's all about kind of mixing together inequality and everyone's the same. I think it's it's so weird. And you got well, Stevie wonder what would he be categorized as kind of funk soul kind of thing at that kind of time? That kind of mm. bit of Motown as well, and then you got Paul McCartney and obviously from that from his point of view, and again doesn't shouldn't work. I don't think it actually does work, but it's one of them that stuck <laughs> in my mind. And I, had somewhat, I have the vinyl in the loft. I don't know whose it was. It's obviously parents or uncle or something. Um But that was the when you said it, Matt. That was the first one on the list straight away. Oh, really? Because <laughs> there there's that and and another one to come. That the only two two out of the list I actually own physically.
1: Incredible. At what point do you think the world needed this? Is it to break cultural divides? Or um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the want and need of the world?
0: I think seeing a blind black man and Paul McCartney <laughs> <laughs> singing about racial inequalities is something we all need every time of day. Um, I think it, it, it's so weird that it had to happen just so that it didn't happen again.
1: <laughs> it's not a case of uh, if we sh- uh, can we do it it's a case of if we should do it is what you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, i hear where you're coming from excellent excellent andy finish uh finish off this little section with your number two please uh
2: so my number two i wanted to go for something that it changed opinions of the main artist here um the song is Taylor Swift and Bonnie Ver Exile, uh, which was on Taylor Swift's album Folklore. Um, the mm-hmm. perception of Taylor Swift prior to, to Folklore was very much that she's this country pop princess that's a little bit throwaway. And to me, I don't think Taylor Swift has ever really been that. It's just that she's an attractive young woman, so people immediately pigeonhole her into a, a specific type of music. Um, And then going with someone like Bonnie Ver, who has got this this credibility as more than a a musician who's like quite deep and brooding and and dark. And they came out with this this beautiful sounding song, Exile, on this album. It was such a wonderful piece of music. Uh, Just loved it. And I I feel that maybe that album in its entirety, did change perceptions of Taylor where people now see her as a singer-songwriter. I think they finally respect that she's more than what she was pigeonholed to be prior to that. But by giving her this indie credibility of pairing her up with someone like Bonnie "Ver," it it just took her off into a whole new uh, direction. Uh, Originally, my top five list, I was going to make a joke and all five of my answers were going to be, um, Taylor Swift with Shawn Mendes, Taylor Swift with Brendan Urie, <laughs> Taylor Swift with Bob. Like I, I couldn't find a a fifth song to put into the top five of Taylor Swift collaborations. But yeah, my number two, uh, Taylor Swift and Bonnie Ver Exile, which is wonderful.
1: One of my favourite memories would be um, of my entire clubbing life, and I don't just mean. Of, of recent memory, I'm talking my entire clubbing life was uh, dancing to Taylor Swift with you, Andy, in, uh, in Planet. He was a, it, yeah.
2: a it was a memory that's very,
1: very close to my heart.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, not so much when he was dancing to um, to Steps With Me in the grain store.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Which then no. led to that gif <laughs> that he's forever haunted his dreams. And and one day Twitter, when we figure out how to get it on there,
1: <laughs> Is that the origin? That was yeah. um it was, it was Christmas. Oh.
0: It was Christmas and me and Goldie obviously knew all the all the dance dance moves to it and everything and he was just shaking his head in disgust.
2: It yeah. was Gold's um it was Goldie's stag do if i remember correctly. Yeah. Cuz he was dressed up like macho man Randy Savage. Um <laughs> and, and and i just wasn't impressed with the musical choices.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so my number two was a song that was originally released a artist took it and added themselves into it which was then taken on by the original artist who released it on their next album so it was released on two separate albums but the same song and that would be bring the noise by anthrax and public enemy um it came to me through tony hawk's pro skater 2 which was one of those (laughs) games which quite literally changed my life from a musical point of view, because that's how I got into Papa Roach (laughs) and Papa Roach was then the gateway to Limp Biscuit and Slipknot and everything else. And it also had this song on it. Um, It had Rage Against the Machine testify on it as well. Um, But this song, it's, it's a, it's a heavier version of, of Walk This Way, Aerosmith from Rundy MC, in that it's two similar, you know, it's artists of those genres that come together, but it's it's a really fun song. But Anthrax have this moniker of being mixed with the big four of Thrash, but they have, like, they have a lot of fun music as well. It's not all, um, you know, they, they have, like, a, a song called I'm the Man, which is basically, like, a rip-off of the Beastie Boys, um and that's and they talk about kind of being jewish and stuff like that and um it's it's um it's a really fun song and i think if you listen to it it's one of those you could be driving in your car and listening to it if you want to unwind after like a bad day you can listen to it if you want to party and have a good time you can listen to it it's just a really fun song with two artists that should never work and one of the quotes i really like um about this chuck d really disliked it when when it came together he didn't take the song seriously but once he heard it it was it made too much sense is what he said it was like it was just meant to be these the the the, the two bands to put this song out together um it's a really fun song and one that like i say kind of shaped my musical tastes to come in in future years
2: it's really interesting because like public enemy are like one of the most serious bands ever they're like the antithesis of beastie boys the beastie boys are all about Big sounds and parties and stuff, and then mm-hmm. you've got Public Enemy. I mean, Fight the Power is literally one of their songs. They're the most political band ever. So to then put them into that with Anthrax, that like you said, that that shouldn't work at all.
1: It shouldn't, no, but it but it really does. Like it's a really it's a, it's just a great song, and um, it doesn't. I don't think get the love in terms of like nightclub. Plays or anything like that, but um, it's definitely one that goes on like my pre drink party playlist, put it that way.
0: I think that that game has a did a lot for a lot of bands, you know. I think it, that oh, was man, probably sure. uh, either the first or the second one was the first time I ever heard Superman, I and mean, I'd never heard that before. Um, and <laughs> like you, I mean, it didn't shape me like it did, did with you, but a lot of them songs, when, they, when I hear them now, it's like the muscle memory, the. the me- the song memory comes back playing Tony O's Pro Skater one or two. I mean, that's why. I mean, now we've got they got given the um, the remake with PlayStation Plus a couple of months ago, and it's been installed mm-hmm. there. I ain't touched it yet because I, I know it, everyone that says it, it feels the same and everything, but thankfully that soundtrack is still on there from both games, um, and that was the yeah, whole oh, ma-
1: wow. That's, that's great.
0: The whole point about it, and that it, the licenses are apparently done for like fifty years, so they're never going to be took off. So, well, in our lifetime, anyway. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, that that was. I mean, when was that? 97, 98, something like that. It's
1: got to have been. Yeah, it was. It was a while ago. I mean, I need to make a slight before Twitter attacks me. It was Gorilla Radio by Red Against the Machine. But for the wrestling geek amongst us, it also had When Worlds Collide by Powerman Five Thousand, who I think also appeared on, like, a SmackDown versus Raw or something like that, which, again, was, like, um, where I got the majority of my music, along with FIFA 2004.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) It was, like, it was a big thing back in the day, what music made the FIFA games. I remember when um, that uh, Jerk It Out came out on, I think it was, 2004, Mm -hmm. and that it just was a mega hit on the back of, I believe, on that game. I mean, well,
2: even up to Fed recently, I remember, um, fuck, I can't remember the name of the band, but they did a song, Ra, 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 Wrecking Bar. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know much about it other than that one song, and then it's on the radio, and all of a sudden, oh, shit, these are on there, and it, it's still a thing, I believe, which seemed quite incredible, really, for a game to have that reach.
0: Well, like, um, Road to World Cup 98 had sung two on. And that's that gave that and new lease of life years after it came out. I um, think there was one later again, Robbie Williams. It's only us, which was a double A side, and that was that was only because it was the centre of the game. Well, to the opening credits of the game that year. Then we should put this on a, on a future podcast about the influence that the, them kind of things have.
2: Maybe when we do a yeah, when we do a gaming episode, we can we can think about that one.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. future plans being made I like it um, Stu give us your number two please
0: I mean, my number two I, mean, I remember the first time I heard this was when it was either the, I mean for context I never used when I was a young young book and I, I <laughs> my uncle used to, uh, had a pass in the Legends Club at Mollen, and you so we, we used these car park pass and we used to drive up there but we didn't leave till like half one because there was no need, because the car parking space is literally there. So we get there, but so I'd watch telly for ITV first, um, and it was either it was either CD UK or the Chart Show. Can't exactly remember. But when this came on, I thought that's one of the most incredible things I've ever heard. And of course, it was "I'll Be Missing You," P-D- Puff Daddy, I think at the time, and Sting, because. <laughs> Yeah, it had, I didn't know at the time what the meaning was of that song, but I thought this is incredible because obviously I'd heard that the police version for years in again on car journeys and whatever. And then to hear that kind of, that kind of interruption in the song as well, just blew my mind. <laughs> and I think it was number one for for months or something like that. It, it felt like that anyway.
1: It's not a song that really um, would jump out, but this is what's great about these kind of lists: is that we've got some, the different musical tastes that, that, that what what jumps out to you is like a great duet that has come a bit of a surprise. But I, the as soon as you were started talking about it, then I thought you were going to talk about that Fuji's song. Um, what was it called? <laughs> um, what was it called? The Fuji's one? Killing uh, Gang- the Soft- oh, Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that's what we were coming out with at first, but then it didn't go it didn't go down that way at all. Um, I think like reworkings of songs like that, like you said about the Police version, is when like things like this really come into their own, and like when a song gets a new lease of life but a new style, which makes it really, really interesting.
2: I think that's where we got the the rise of the superstar producer in the likes of um, Puff Daddy and Pharrell Williams that's where I think they've really came in and smashed it out of the park by taking these established songs and just giving them a new lease of life.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think like like anything, like the fact that all films now are just remakes over and over and over, I think there's a lot of money to be made in this in, in kind of rehashing old stuff, um, uh, which I think you probably see more and more of this kind of stuff really. Look, but, you know, I'm surprised that after... Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man and this Elvis film that we haven't had more of that to be honest. Like I thought we'd have had more like renaissances of these of these bands um, getting number ones and stuff. I don't think anything happened to a Queen if unless I remember incorrectly. Not that I recall. I think didn't Elton have? I mean, it might be like fairly
2: recently, But didn't Elton have a, an album out where it was? I don't know if it was covers or if it was reworkings, but he did songs. with like Do a Leaper and yeah. And new artists breathing new life into old songs. Um, that song's so amazing, I think, though. I, I don't think I've heard it. I, I don't really know who Dua Lipa is. I just know the name.
0: You you would have heard it. You you would have been living in a cave if you hadn't heard that song. it's like a mashup of three of his songs into one, and it just works.
1: Okay. And he's only seen a uh, Dua Lipa uh, on Muse, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's um, five down to two so can I get some of your honourable mentions please Andy, ones that didn't quite make the list but are worthy of a, a little um, a little love
2: yeah I'm going to have to pick out a few and I'm doing some on the flight editing here um, my number one is now I'm going to put my honourable mentions because actually I don't think it's all that unexpected um, it's the Cribs featuring Lee Ronaldo in a song called Be Safe Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth so I don't think it's unexpected to see the Cribs, who are a mid-fi band alongside Sonic Youth. Like they're, they're very similar. But this, I feel, was the song that took the Cribs from being a sort of underground-ish, like they were known to certain people, but not far and wide. Um, and then Ronaldo comes in and it's like, OK, you're a big, big name in this band. And then 12 months later, the Cribs have got their next album, which is featuring Johnny Marr. And all of a sudden, the Cribs are known far and wide. And it's just a fucking excellent song anyway. It's probably my favourite song on this list. I just don't think it's all that unexpected. So that's why it's not on my list now. Um, Vic Reeves and the Wonder is a great fun. Um, ben Folds and Rufus Wainwright did a cover of Careless Whisper. They're two of my favourite singer-songwriters doing an absolute George Michael classic, so that's why that's on there. Uh, Alicia Keys and Jay-Z, Empire State of Mind love that song, but again, it's probably not all that unexpected to have an R&B singer and a, a rap superstar working together. And also want to make mention of Queen and David Bowie, Under Pressure um, that's a really good singer helping out a terrible band to get over so <laughs> that's why that's wow. there <laughs> and I didn't realise David Bowie was in a band why cleft sean and the rock it doesn't matter
1: (laughs) that's gotta have been on there to be fair of course um i I only have one honorable mention um on this list because they go anyway i suppose but it's it's the one song if i can only listen to one song again for the rest of my life i'm listening to this song and that is the urban assault vehicle version of Rolling by Limp Biscuit. Um, because <laughs> it's just, it's so fun and it's so ridiculously over the top. Um, but it's just, it it just brings a an overwhelming wave of happiness on me whenever I hear that song, um, which has got um, Method Man on it, um, Swiss Beats. Uh, Red Man on it as well. Um it's just it, it, it Limp Biscuit were always the rapier side of rock anyway. And then um, Wu-Tang were always Wu-Tang. So it should it, it goes anyway. So um it's not really a it's not really a a duet that you don't expect, but fuck me if I don't love that song and want to hear it every day until the day I die. Even when I'm 80 in an old person's home I want to be keep rolling baby. You know what time it is. <laughs> Yeah, yourself.
0: I mean, I mean, we've we've kind of mentioned a few like like Sir Tom Jones, um, etc., etc., and the Elvis one. Um, There's a couple. I mean, I can't believe we haven't mentioned unless it's going to be number one for you. Um, Eminem and Dido, Stan. (laughs) That just seems completely different worlds collide. Forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, I know it's more of a thing now that you get you get like rap and rap rock cross with like pop singer kind of thing. But back then it didn't seem that obvious, um, especially someone like her. And I mean, I had her album. That I mean, everyone had that album. That I mean, was in my old CD Burning Days as well. We used to <laughs> distribute them through the school every, every week. Um, and it was a nice, twee, kind of calming album. And then you put it with Eminem at the height of his powers. And again, not my kind of thing normally. But I really like that song. Um another one, <laughs> mid mid nineties. So and I am without looking, at, I'm pretty sure this was on one of the now albums, but heavily edited. And it's Smokey and <laughs> Roger B. Brown and Alice. <laughs> and because that, for that kind of then then few months when that came out, it was everywhere, but it, only after nine o'clock, obviously. <laughs> um and even then it it was it was blanked. So I mean I've seen mean, seeing Chubby Brown a few times, well more than a few times live, and that that's obviously one of his theme tune theme tunes. But I never heard of Smoky before that. That was kind of on my way into that kind of seventies kind of shitty gla- <laughs> Smoky filled glam rock kind of sub T Rex kind of band. And they're okay. They are kind of they are what they are. It 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 sounds like they should have been like on the same track at Life on Mars more than. <laughs> A lot of people on there but yeah that this that should never have worked and don't know how it how it was even commissioned to be released as a single but it was and the world
1: is happier for it <laughs> excellent thank you Stu. so andy what is your number one on this esteemed list
2: up uh, so my my last minute edit was to pick Aerosmith and Run DMC Walk This Way. It it had to be. Um, I think the only song which is older is the David Bowie, Bing Crosby one that Stu picked, which in fairness, that song is very much a song of one style. This song sort of defines what this list is to me. This is very much the two separate musics coming together to create something new. I feel this was probably the first time that that had ever really happened. Um, I recently saw a documentary. I can't remember if it was on YouTube, to be honest, about the making of this song and how I think it was. It was originally a an Aerosmith song that Run DMC then came to, and it was very much this whole "we're not doing that white crap" sort of thing was the the original feeling towards a a black rap band taking this this song from a, a very very white audience. Um, there was quite a lot of hostilities towards it, but when it was released, it just completely changed the world almost. Um, and, and as your title is on this episode, it, it, this is what the world needed. It was about the coming together of two separate sides of the coin to create something one like it. So, yeah, that, that's what it's on there for me. I think it's a great song. I like Rundy MC so much. And I feel that they've probably got a little bit overlooked over the last couple of years. I know we had that one song, the um, It's Tricky, that was released that got a mm-hmm. bit of love. But then there was never really a Run DMC renaissance, even in the death of, oh, but- of um, Jam Master J. We never got that second wave of Run, DM, of Run DMC's music that we probably should have done.
0: You missing the one with Jason Nevins? There, it's like that. There was that was number one for for again longer than it, it should have been. It seemed that he never went away.
1: It's um it's interesting because Aerosmith they were massive, but they were still quite poppy in their world. And I I can't say to know this as fact, but I always thought that Run DMC were one of those more not poppy but more mainstream of that kind of hip hop. So for those two to come together, makes sense now. But at the time when it came out, I think people would have thought, wow, what the, what the hell is this? This is crazy. At the time, I think now you think when you think about it, like the art and the song is so, everybody knows it. Like it's so widely loved and popular now that you think, how did it not happen any earlier? It just makes absolute sense now. But at the time, it was definitely something like a shot in the arm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 1980s America, race relations were as terrible as they are now to be perfectly honest but it it did help break down barriers somewhat uh, at least in the music scene which i think when you see people you admire doing it 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 helps you on a personal level i believe so i'm not saying it ended racism because it obviously hasn't (laughs) i do think it certainly helped a hell of a lot though
1: excellent thank you my um, number one. It's. I'm going to give you a little. Well, you'll know it if you know your pub quizzes. Maybe the first hint. It is the third most successful song ever on the Billboard Greatest of All Time Top 100 songs. Does that Does that help you any at all? Is it Will
2: Young and Gareth Gates singing the long and winding road?
1: No, <laughs> sadly, <not. laughs> uh, I wish it. I, I wish it was. Uh, okay, the next the next fact then for this, it is the only song to um, appear on two decade end Billboard charts. It was the final number one of the nineteen nineties and the first number one of the two thousands. I thought
2: that was a, oh, I was going to say I thought it was Cliff Richard. Probably that'd just be in the UK, wouldn't it? I may. I haven't got a clue. It's going to be really obvious now, as well, isn't
0: it? Yeah, of course
1: it is. Um. Yeah, it's no, you... no, not great audio. Well, is it? <laughs> if you if you know me, if you don't know me by now, that's not a hint. No, um, <laughs> um, it's the one song other than Sledgehammer that I would pick at a karaoke. If that helps you in any way, <laughs> no, no, that doesn't help you. <laughs> I'm going to put you out your misery. It is Smooth by Santana, <laughs> featuring Rob Thomas. <laughs> Damn. hang on how this is that that is... successful honestly it's fucking huge like it is huge it broke like all sorts of records for absolutely ages um it was it's it, it, it's it was 12 weeks number 1 in in the US
2: <laughs> i mean the, the latino market the latino market is massive in america even if you go look to someone like bad bunny who is the mm-hmm. biggest selling artist in the world and I only know him because of wrestling. Like, he's huge because of the Latino sales in, in the US. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's something to be reckoned with, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, to give a bit of, like, backstory to this, this uh, when, when I say, like, it's something that was unexpected, the last single that Santana as a band released, so this was 1999, he hadn't released a single since 1985 it had been going into the mid-60s up to this point. And this is what happens when, a, when you get a fresh lease of life with an artist. You just can sometimes create magic. And this people, people won't know who Santana is, but they'll know this song. Um, it's just huge. And it's so funky. And it makes me think that I can sing when I sing along to it in the car, though I probably <laughs> can't. It's pop. Yeah, it's pop. But it's Latina, funk. It's a bit of rock. It's it's sexy as well. There's just something about this song that just absolutely hits all of the spots that I like when it comes to music that isn't screaming horrible heavy metal. Um, <laughs> and I just love this song, and I don't think anybody saw it coming either because, like I say, apart from to maybe the Latino audience and to guitar enthusiasts, Santana wasn't in the public eye. He hadn't, like I say, he hadn't released a single for nearly, what, 14 years. And... Um, so for that reason, that's why this tops my list because it's one of the most successful songs of all time, and it was completely unexpected. Who is Rob Thomas? Like,
0: yeah, no, I I'd never heard of him before this song.
1: He was with
2: Matchbox Twenty, I think. Um, oh, okay, I- I've heard of them, but I couldn't tell you anything by them.
1: I think they were just one of these like American bands of of like the uh, the, the late nineties, early two thousands that were like ten a penny that were like. You know, American Pie bands, all like, like, like our rise of the indie movement, like the Pigeon Detectives, when stuff like the Inbetweeners came out.
2: They're like the new radicals. That sort of level of
1: yeah. You mean you almost... too?
2: Yeah, you too. <laughs> uh, they're like the American version of indie landfill, almost.
1: Yeah, I, I can only assume so. Yeah, look like at look like a shit version of Train. <laughs> train, yeah. <laughs>
0: Don't mock Train. Train are great.
1: Mm, that's a, that's a podcast on its own.
2: Hey, Soul Sister is a good song. I'll give him that one.
1: Hold on, I'm not thinking of the same band. I'm not thinking of the right band. I'm thinking of Keen. Oh, no, Keen oh, is Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's they probably were the quickest we've ever agreed about anything.
0: Keen and, Keen and Embrace, are like, um, right? we always have to, used to have this little thing, but when, if we've gone to some kind of far-flung away game on a Tuesday night... I'd always I'd always put um come back to what you're now on and, and <laughs> depress myself even more.
2: I didn't mind Embrace. Embrace were okay. Um I think I I have seen them live, they were they were fine. But mm, mm. Th- yeah, they're definitely no keen anyway.
1: I want you to listen to Smooth by Santana. Um for the audio listener, well we only have it on audio, thankfully, because I don't have any um, shorts on at the moment. Andy doesn't have a shirt on at the moment, and I don't know what Stu's got on under that vest. So um, it's a hot one—30 degrees <laughs> in the midday sun. Is other words, I think. Um, <laughs> so whatever it is, um, have a listen to it tonight when you finish, uh, gents, and um, I think you'll fully agree with me that um, this song is an absolute belter, but Stu, finish us off. What's your number one pick?
0: I mean, being finished off after listening to Santana has probably happened more than enough times. <laughs> um, the, my, mine's um, also from 1999 and hmm, is it related to someone who's already been mentioned already um, and just the amusement itself. I mean, I, I, one of the co- collaborators could be marked as a hazardous material, maybe. Um, well, you're never gonna get it anyway. It's the Chemical Brothers and Noel Gallagher. <laughs> Let forever be. Again. At that at that time, they hadn't really done anything apart other than Oasis. And for him to go out of his indie bubble and his songwriter bubble to go to do something with a band who were more famous for well. Acid, <laughs> the acid ecstasy movements and being the act to the Wipo <laughs> games. Um, very, very much a kind of a swing for him. And that was the other one, that the other single that I'd bought, this one. And I heard it the first time. I, I, it was more than likely on either John Peel or Lamac had played it on Radio 1 uh, just because of who it was. And I thought, this is amazing. And I couldn't get enough of it. And it was one of them where, you li- uh, listen to it then you listen to the the track two and three which are just radio edits and whatever because of be the chemical brothers and again, not really my kind of thing that uh, i mean yeah prodigy and whatever and a lot of that kind of, a lot of them kind of on the fringe of dance music which wasn't really my thing at the time and never really has been but this them two together I love this song and you don't you don't hear it hardly ever anymore and I don't really know why because I mean we've had a lot of like rehashes of 90s songs that have, like we said, bit, like the, the rise of the producer bringing back things. I mean, we are seeing and hearing things from the 90s being remixed and brought back now, which is terrifying. This seems to have just been just died a death and people have forgotten about it. And I don't really know why, because it's, it's a proper banger.
1: Okay, well, that is our top five done and dusted for this musical episode. Um, Thank you very much for listening and please make sure you get your lists over to us as well because like our three for the probably the first time in a top five or or at least that I can ever think of that we haven't had the same choices I think Stu might have had Run DMC taken away from him at the last minute it felt like by a (laughs) a pained look on his face Um, thank you very much for listening get your lists over to us so then we can hear your tunes as well because you know we all like different things musically there were some songs that i've never heard of on on, on the gents list and i'm sure some of them are new um to, to them as well so thank you and um andy if you'd like to say goodbye
2: oh um just before we go next podcast is going to be a picture pod on the film rumblefish so check out justwatch.com to see where that one's going um and goodbye from me
1: this is this is this is me This is me, Rusty. (laughs) This is why I don't do the hosting, you see. This is why Andy is the main man. And I should say, I should preface the ending by saying, make sure you've got us on Twitter and on all the socials, at Cage Fighting Pod, to get all of your juicy cage fighting news. Stu, if you would like to say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.
0: Listen to Santana.
1: (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. And remember, party on, dudes.
2: Do you like music?
1: Do you like breathing?
2: Right, it's a dumb question.